Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this. Well, I just want to thank you for having me this morning. As David said, my name is Brian Allen, and... Uh, I have a ministry called Brian Allen Ministries, and so we get to go around and get the wonderful opportunity of sharing the word and sharing song and testimony, and I kind of popped it on David at the last minute. I said, man, I, I think I got a little bit of a word I'd like to speak to, if that's okay. So, you know, he said, as long as we're out by 2 o'clock, we'll be all good. So, um, you know, <laughs> okay, 2.30 is good, and we'll meet at the uh, buffet, so... <laughs> All right, um, but anyway, so I, I did think that God had laid a message on my heart, and I want to give you a quick background of who I am so we can kind of get to know each other, and then maybe uh, share just a quick, a quick word with you. But first off, let me just pray for us. God, Lord, this is your service. I just want to be a servant, God. I want to be available for you to use in any way that you see fit and that people would see Jesus and they wouldn't see Brian and they'd hear a word from the Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, descend upon this place in a mighty way, God, and just search our hearts, Lord, and help us just to leave here as changed people, God, and uh, just to take something with us, Lord, um, that would just impact our lives, Father. I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for Victory Church and the uh, blessing and opportunity is to get to stand here and tell about your goodness and your grace and your mercy. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit about me, and, and I'm going to kind of condense a lot of things because I've, I've realized that I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about sin and, and all this kind of stuff. I want to talk a little bit more about Jesus and the Word, and so um, I'm always forever kind of tweaking my testimony, but you know, for me, at a very early age, um, I had lots of learning disabilities, was basically told you're never really going to amount to much in school. You would never uh, graduate high school, and it would be impossible for you to ever go on and go to college. That was just out of the question. So I started finding basically my identity as a, in an early age in uh, sports and other things like that. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, my father was a pastor for about 40 years almost, um, and so I knew the Bible, I knew the things, the ways of God, knew all these things uh, that had been taught to me from just a little kid, and we were in church every time the doors were opened, and, um, but I, I figured out when I got to high school, I basically figured out that I didn't want anything to do with the Bible, and I started to rebel against my family and started to smoke weed at the age of 15, I remember, and I uh, started dabbling and getting into other drugs and different kinds of things. And it was very heavy inside of all the uh, football and basketball and all these different sporting events that uh, I played in all throughout high school. You would think in that kind of realm there wouldn't be drugs, alcohol, this kind of thing. And there was. And it was even more so, pardon me, it was even more so in there than anywhere else. And um, while I was in high school... Our, my drug addiction basically had gotten pretty out of control. I remember by the time I was a junior in high school, I was doing cocaine in the football locker room before uh, sporting events, not knowing that I'm about to go out here and run wind sprints and my heart could explode and die. Uh, we just thought that was the cool thing to do. And one of my friends, our senior year, ended up 
uh, he was supposed to be coming to my house for a party, ended up shooting himself, got high on cocaine, and took his own life. And you would basically thought for a bunch of 17-year-olds that would be a wake-up call to uh, not do or go down the path that you have been going down. Well, that actually did the opposite of that and excelled our drug addiction and got me a little more out of control. Um, against all odds, basically, I was able to go to this little college, and you might have heard of it, called Western Carolina University. And I now live about, <laughs> we got one in the back. Well, I had a little too much fun in college, um, but, you know, was able to go there, and I just remember thinking, you know what, I don't have a mom or dad to tell me what to do. Not that I used to listen to them anyway in high school because I was running around doing my own thing. I can say that because my mom's here this morning. Uh, so, you know, but I do remember um, thinking when I got to college, like, man, this is great. I have this freedom, and now Brian can serve himself and do whatever Brian wants to do. Um, very quickly... In, high, in college, I started dabbling in other religions as far as Buddhism and um, Hinduism and different kinds of things, took classes on those, and uh, even got into witchcraft, and it was, it was sold to me as the good witchcraft, like there is such a thing. You know, there, we know there's no such thing as good witchcraft, but man, I was carrying around rocks and crystals in my pockets and in my car and in my backpacks and depending on these things to give me power to basically make it through the day. While I was in college, uh, I kind of thought, you know, if I want to keep a uh, drug addiction going, the best, best way for that would be to sell dope. And I thought, man, that, no, no other college kid has, ne has never been as smart as I am. Like, this is obviously the light bulb went off, and nobody's ever thought of this before. I'm a genius, and I'm going to start selling drugs to pay for my addiction. Is exactly that's how messed up I was. That's what my thought pattern was. And um, so while I'm in college, all the while, my, my drug addiction is getting more and more out of control and just partying all the time. And um, I, I lost my, one of my best friends. He was at my house for a party or um, at one of our places, and he had wrecked his car about a mile down the road and uh, ended up killing him on Halloween night. And so at this point in time with the drugs and stuff, I'd realized there was a problem and we need some help. But I was literally caught in sin to where I couldn't come up out of this thing. I knew there was a problem and I wanted to just kind of get over it and white knuckle it. So what we did is, uh, as a bunch of friends, we got together on New Year's, two months later, got together on New Year's and said, you know what, we have a problem. We're going to make New Year's resolutions to do better. Okay, but our New Year's resolutions started with, Tons of liquor and a pocket full of Oxycontins, and one of my best friends OD'd and died basically in front of me that night. It was then that I had um, basically gone on to dabble in heavier drugs like the cocaine and heroin and different kinds of things like this. Um, but man, I was searching for something. And, and I always tell people this that I was searching uh, for a worldly solution to a spiritual problem. Because I knew there was a problem. But I wanted to try everything the world had to offer first and not try Jesus. Even though my parents would still preach Jesus to me every time I'd come home, I'd just tell them I don't want to hear that. And so I tried NAs and AAs, and David and I talk about PTA and anything that had an A after it. We were, <laughs> we were in there. 
a lot of A's. So we were trying. I was trying anything I could and did a little inpatient rehab and all this kind of stuff. But uh, nothing seemed to work. No other religions, no rocks and crystals and all this kind of stuff. Nothing seemed to work. I couldn't come up out of that. And so I was about to graduate Western Carolina. I had three classes left, and I got arrested for trafficking drugs from California into Asheville by the DEA. And I lost everything that I owned, which wasn't necessarily much because I was a dope addict, <laughs> but uh, a car and, you know, a couple things like that and some money. It was like, but anyway, so got arrested uh, by the DEA. I found myself as a college student sitting in the Buncombe County Jail with 200 and about 225 months, seven felonies, uh, facing all these charges. And man, I remembered being scared to death, but I remembered this man named Jesus. I remembered what my parents had talked to me about. I remember what the Sunday school teachers from when I was a kid told me and the, the vacation Bible schools had told me. And I remember this man named Jesus, and so I fall fell down on my hands and knees, and I remember it. I just celebrated as 10 years, but I, uh, just this month, yeah, yeah. I remember January 10th of 2008, I fell down on my hands and knees in a cold jail cell. They had concrete floor like this. It was snowing. There was overcrowding in the jail, so they had crammed us in there. All I had was a little blanket, no pillow, and uh, freezing cold and cried out the Lord Jesus Christ to save my soul. And from that mo moment forth, I've never been the same again. It wasn't an easy road inside prison. Uh, the Lord kept me safe through a three-day race riot at Lumberton, which is about the second worst prison in, in uh, North Carolina. But God gave me a vision inside there. He gave me time to... to to look back on my life, and, and you know, I thought I was being real, really spiritual at the time. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I'm not going to ask you to, to get me out of prison early. But if you see fit, and in the back of my mind, I'm saying, I'm sure you do, you're going to let me out early. Well, long story short, I did exactly the amount of time that I got. So he didn't see fit to do that, um, but ended up serving four and a half years in prison, but inside those four and a half years, man, it was like God molded me into the man I am today. Uh, I tell people all the time, it was not God's uh, purpose or reason for me to go to prison. God, God hates that. He doesn't want you to do that, but God used it, okay? Just like Joseph turned around and said what the devil meant for evil when his brothers sold him into slavery, God meant for good. So, you know, he didn't send me to prison I, Brian sent me to prison, okay? Now, even though some people told on me and all this kind of stuff, guess what? I got mad at those people for a long, long time. But uh, I start, about a year in, uh, the Lord just told me, listen, if you weren't doing what you were doing, they couldn't have told on you for nothing. So don't blame that person. Cause look in the mirror. It's your fault, okay? It's my fault. And so it took me a long time to to come to some of these realizations, but I realized that it was my own sin that put me there, but God can still use it for good. God gave me a uh, vision to start a ministry, and all I wanted to do is get out, and just, I said, Lord, if I could just go back to a jail or a prison and just maybe talk to an inmate for a minute and just try to give them the gospel, that I would love to be able to do that. Well, my, I started writing up a, 
a ministry plan. And I actually looked back at it. It was kind of funny the other day. Um, and it's kind of pathetic, my writing skills and stuff at the time. But I just knew I wanted to do something for the Lord. So I wrote up this ministry plan and took it to a, my home church when I got out. And uh, they kind of came underneath their umbrella. And we called it, for a while, More Than Conquerors Ministries. Which if you look in Romans eight thirty seven and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And when you do this study, some, some versions say you're a super victor instead of more than conquerors. But uh, you do the study, and it's, it's, it's ex- people who have overcome extreme trials, testings, and temptations with the help of Jesus Christ. And that's what I wanted to give people that hope uh, through the help of Jesus Christ. And so I got out and did about 40 ministry events within the first year. And um, then um, we kind of outgrew, basically, the church that it was under, and we're now Brian Allen Ministries, so we're our own nonprofit um, I was able to finish my degree, but when I went back to Western Carolina and said, hey, um, I said, I'm, I'm saved. I'm not the same person. I tried three times, and they denied me to ever come back to the school there. I said, you know, I'm saved, and them being a secular college, they said, that means nothing to us. You're not allowed to come here because you are a threat to the academic learning community, is what the, the words <laughs> on the letter said. But I remember... Um, thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I've got all this time. And the Lord opened up the door for me to finish a Bachelor of Bible Theology at Lancaster. And um, I became a full-time pastor for about three years after that and got married and have two beautiful children. And um, now we do this full-time. So we go out with Brian Allen Ministries and get to go around and raise all our own support and different kinds of things. Um, but get to sing and got a couple of CDs and stuff. Um, of just original music. I, I picked up a guitar. So I had all this time in prison, nothing to do. And so I said, man, I want to teach myself guitar and maybe try to sing a little bit or something. You know, uh, I don't want to just waste my time here uh, watching sports or whatever. And uh, so the Lord has just really blessed, really blessed that. So it's a little bit longer than I wanted to go. That's, that's a little bit, bit about me. Um, but I do want to dive into the Word because I believe there's this, there's this, I've been going through a season in my life where what is it like to flourish, not only like spiritually in your life, but flourish inside of a church and flourish inside the house of the Lord. And so I want to just read a little bit of scripture and um, I'm going to dive in. I get a little fired up when I preach because I, really like, uh, I really like the word. So um, just forgive me or... Uh, you don't have to invite me back. You don't have to invite me back. <laughs> All right. Flourishing in the house of the Lord. So in uh, Psalms 92, we're just going to go through verses 12 through 15. And I want to give you a little bit of a background right here because this was a call to worship God. And if you read the beginning of the Psalms um, and the verses before this, it was basically worshiping God on the Sabbath day. And so I want us to know, we got, we got to figure something out before it will kind of set the tone here. But we need to know what, what is worship and, and uh, how did Jesus describe it? Well, Jesus described that it's not a place and it's not a kind or a style of worship, but those that are going to worship are going to worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he told the woman at the well in John 4, uh, 20 through 26. Remember, he goes and, and asks for water. And what, what she basically said to Jesus, though, she said, Why are you coming and talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, or basically um, she was part uh, Jewish and Samaritan. And so... She said, why are you talking to me? 
Why are you worshiping, or, or, or sorry, why are you here in this place that y'all worship over there in Jerusalem, and we worship over here in uh, the Mount Jezreel? And so basically what she was saying, though, is you have a style or a place of worship, and we have a style and a place of worship. And then what Jesus says was amazing is that he said, there's coming a day that we're not going to worship there and we're not going to worship here, but those that worship me are going to worship in spirit and in truth. So basically what he was telling her is you got to break down this mentality of we've always done it this way or you've always worshiped there or we're here or you like this kind of music or you use this kind of Bible or this gift or that gift or you say this liturgical prayer. Jesus said, listen up, you've had it all wrong this whole time because you need to worship me in spirit and truth. So he was just breaking down that barrier, telling them what, telling her what real worship was. Okay, and so what I think is, is, you know, ultimately one of the things is when Jesus shook up the religious establishment, when he came with this message that you've had it all wrong and you've done it wrong, that's what ultimately put Jesus to death. Is that he shook up the church basically. He shook up the establishment and told them that you've done it all wrong. So if we're going to flourish in the house of the Lord, I want us to do something. I want us to be open for God to move in any way that he wants to. That we have an open mind that we'll say, you know what, Lord, if you move in a way that uh, is not exactly like I think you should, then I'm open to that. Because a lot of times when God moves in a way that we're not expecting, it scares us, okay? And we discredit it and say, you know what? That's not of the Lord because it's a little bit outside our box or outside of our comfort zone. So we're just easy to jump on the bandwagon and say, you know what? That's not of the Lord or that uh, house of worship down there is not of God because this happens down there or whatever we do. But that makes us being devoted to a cause or being devoted to a certain kind of doctrine and not to Jesus himself. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, today we have substituted doctoral belief for personal belief. He said, that's why so many people are devoted to causes and so few people are devoted to Jesus. He said, our Lord's primary will was to be obedient to the Father. And it was in this that the saving of people was the natural outcome, okay, was the obedience to his Father. So when we get obedient to Jesus and we start doing things, we don't have to start having to go out and do this or that or these programs. We will see churches grow and we'll see people start getting saved and we'll see devotion on a different level. I believe because I know David that this church is devoted to the Lord. And I know how David and Brittany operate, and I believe you've got a wonderful pastor that wants to see things happen. And when things start happening, I would encourage you to be open to whatever God has for you, whatever that might look like. When I left my full-time pastorate job, a couple of my felonies had gotten dropped, but I have five felonies, okay? Uh, and I had a job as making good, more money than I've ever made, with benefits, and God said, you know what? You need to leave that, and you need to go out and go off faith-based funding and just trust me that I'm going to provide. Our daughter was due one month from the day that I resigned at that church. I had people that said, you're insane. 
for doing that. Are you sure you heard from the Lord? Christian people, are you sure you heard from the Lord? You got five felonies now. You can't get a job anywhere else. I tried to get a job at Lowe's pushing buggies part-time for $8 an hour, and they're like, we love you, but no, you can't work here, not even part-time. So when God starts to move, there's going to have become a time that we have to listen and be obedient, even if it's against what the rest of the world thinks. Flourishing spiritually is what I want to talk about. Point number one, flourishing It says in verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, and he shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. I started thinking about this, and last year I did a a sing at a Christmas parade, and it was was in Asheville, and it was, I don't know, around the 12th or 13th or something like that. And it was at 9 in the morning, and it was 12 degrees outside. Freezing cold, so I'm I'm on this float trying to sing, you know, Christmas songs and hymns, and uh, my jaw can't even hardly open, you know. So I get actually mad at this, and I'm upset that I'm freezing and whatever. So I go home and I look up. I'm like, man, who in the world came up with the idea of a parade? Why do we have parades? Because that right there was miserable. Well, that's the kind of person I am. And so when I started looking it up, parades were actually uh, done when conquerors or kings would go in and they would devour a land and destroy their enemy. And they'd bring all the spoils back and they would parade through the town and they would show what they had basically just defeated and what all they had gotten from their enemies. So they would parade those uh, items that were, um, you know, riches and all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking, but... You know, I believe that every single word in the Bible is anointed, and I believe it's the true word of God, even from the it's to the these to the thans, it all means something, right? And so in this verse when it said, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, well, the palm tree is an emblem of victory. And we know when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry was a parade that Jesus was basically parading into Jerusalem and they laid down the palm trees in front of him, right? It was basically saying that here comes the Messiah, you are victorious, okay? And so we're going to lay this down as a representation of your triumph over hell and over death. But see, they didn't understand that part of it. They understood here he is triumphant over the kingdom here on earth. And these people missed the mark, okay? So... They missed the mark and said, um, we, we want basically an earthly kingdom. They, they didn't understand it was going to be a spiritual kingdom. And it's unfortunate because they worshipped him one day and then they crucified him later on. The same people that were singing his praises, okay, one day were then crucifying him next and calling for his death. But I wonder in our lives when there's ways that Jesus works, how many times do we crucify? I'm guilty of it crucify the life of Christ in us when God comes in and he wants to do something and I ignore it and I put that life of Christ to death. I'll praise him on one day, but then when he does something that's a little outside my comfort zone, like not letting me out of prison early, uh, I'm going to put the Son of God to death in my life. And that's what they did. It's happened to me many times and then God reveals it to me afterwards but then it's too late. It can still be used to show me in the future how to listen better with my heart and my ears and eyes, but those, those are 
situations have passed. So in Revelation 3.21, it says, Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I am victorious and I sit with my Father. If we're going to be victorious, we're going to do things God's way. So why the palm tree? I got interested in this. The palm tree, unlike any other tree, will actually break anything that is wrapped around it. If there's bands that are wrapped around or anything like that, it will actually literally rip up off and break anything that is wrapped around it. Now, we've seen before, I had a, if you've ever seen old, um, you know, clothes hanging lines and stuff, what do they do? Trees, you hang them around a tree, the tree ends up growing around the old clothesline. We had an old chainsaw uh, blade at my granddad's land. We would walk this logging road, and there was an old chainsaw um, chain, and it had gotten stuck, I guess, and they just pulled the chainsaw out, and the tree had completely grown around the chainsaw uh, blade. And I thought that was one of the coolest things. But literally, a palm tree is the only tree that you cannot bind a palm tree. Just as us as Christians should not be bound by the world, and nothing can bind us because we have the power of Christ to break up out of it. That's why he said the, uh, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. So we have victory through Christ as children of God. And as this world just tightens in and it chokes us down, uh, we can break free, but only when we break free through Jesus Christ. When I tried all those other religions and all that kind of stuff, we didn't break free. We don't have to continue in our sin either and we know just like my ministry was that we can be more than conquerors we can break those chains that bind us i thought something else is i did some research the palm tree will bend but it will not break have we ever seen uh you know in a storm that the palm tree they might be uh, a hurricane or whatever and you got the reporter out there and the hair's flying in the background there's a palm tree almost laying all the way down well that literally a palm tree can bend like that but it will not break. You see it two days later in that same spot, and it's popped back up. And so when the strong winds beat on it, it won't uproot it. And so, you know, when we get beaten down in life, and when uh, my mom and dad, they prayed for me for 12 years and didn't see the fruit of those prayers, and it, I went to prison when my dad was a pastor. So imagine the, 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 the pastor's son going to prison. Like, that's not good for the pastor. You understand? And so when, when the trees and the storm, or when the storms of life beat you down, you can bend, but you don't break as a Christian because you have that blessed hope of Jesus Christ. It also says the palm tree can withstand an amazing amount of abuse that uh, lots of times on other trees when you, you know, hit them or they get beat up on the outside, they literally die, and most trees rot from the inside out. If you've ever seen trees that fall over in the forest and they have a big hole in the middle, they rot from the inside out because they're vulnerable on the outside. But literally, the heart of a palm tree is the most alive part of the tree. It does not rot from the inside out. Okay, so the outward abuse does not affect the inside of the palm tree, just like our external circumstances doesn't have to affect us internally because we have Jesus in our lives. Okay, Ravi Zacharias told a story, and uh, he said, you know, in India, the, the women carry the buckets on their head, and it's all kinds of fruit and everything they've gotten at the market. And he said, but they're, they're so tall that you can never see up into them, and they're really good at dodging and weaving, going through the market, and, you know, you might see their head like this and like that. He said, but every now and again, one will get bumped, and what will happen is some of the stuff will fall out, and you'll see what's on the inside. 
He says, so when we get bumped in life, are people going to see what's on the inside? Is, is Jesus going to come out when we're in that tough situation? Is Jesus going to come out when maybe we're late to work and somebody's cut us off and we might do gestures to them? Or, you know, when is Christ going to pop out? When we get bumped, it's going to show what we are made of. Just as the palm tree and the inside is most alive, so are we to be. It also says this, that the palm tree doesn't only survive in the desert, but a palm tree actually flourishes in the desert. It is most alive when it is in a desert land. And this is amazing because, you know, the desert is a pretty uninhabitable place and um, not much grows there, but the palm tree actually flourishes and it sends its roots, roots down deep and it sends them far out. And just as Christians, if we're going to flourish with God, man, we can't just seek nourishment on the top of the sur- on the top of the service um, and only come, you know, to, to small groups or get in the word or pray or whatever every now and again. We got to send our roots down deep. We got to send that out and seek nourishment for the Lord. Okay? We're gonna have to live that crucified life with Christ. I think I always tell people there's three things that I think do a very well-rounded. I'm not I'm not giving a um, this is like a checklist and you'll be a perfect Christian, but I am saying there's three things uh, the Bible talks about. Pray without ceasing. Don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren and study to show yourself approved. You do those three things and uh, you'll have a pretty well-rounded Christian life. Now, I'm not standing here telling you that I do those very well because right now I have a two-year-old and a nine-week-old. And... Uh, <laughs> Those come few and far between right now. Actually, when I was driving down here this morning at 6.30, I got more prayer time than I've had in about the past eight weeks done. You understand? But those are three areas that I think that we could um, have a well-rounded Christian life if we do those. And as the palm tree, you know, when we start seeking nourishment on God, you remember when Paul talked about, hey, y'all are still on milk and you should be on meat by now. Like, we need the nourishment. My little nine-week-old nine is still on milk, but we need to be on meat. The two-year-old's eating meat and growing up in the Lord. We need to seek that nourishment from the Lord, and we got to go down deep. I think many Christians sometimes get discouraged because they only seek nourishment on the surface. We only seek nourishment just right at the top. We're going to flourish when we seek deep nourishment with God. What? What is also interesting about that is if you know much about water filtration or any of this kind of stuff, where is the water the most pure? Deep. When it's gone through and it's been filtered out. So when we get that pure living water off Christ, man, it's when we sink down deep. When we sink down deep, our roots into the Lord. The second thing was we got to be planted. Okay, you got to be planted in Christ. It says, verse 13, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. You're planted in the house of the Lord. You're going to flourish. Okay, and it's talking about the cedar of Lebanon right here. In verse verse 12, it says, He shall grow like the cedar of Lebanon. So if we're going to be planted, we can learn a couple things from the cedar of Lebanon. It says, number one, cedars grow downwards. This is amazing. Unlike the palm tree, the cedar will actually grow so far down and send its roots so far down that it will find, this is one of my favorite things, it will find bedrock and it literally takes a tap root and it wraps 
itself all the way around that uh, rock. Uh, you understand? So this thing is now completely rooted into the ground. Well, we know that the Bible talks about Jesus being the rock or being the cornerstone. You understand? So when we send our root down, we need to be wrapping around Jesus and nothing else. Not, you know, for me, no other crystals or crack rocks or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about sending it down to the real rock of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what, that's what we got to do. We got to send that thing down deep. I like, uh, it says there's three uses for a root. A root's necessary for plant life, right? All plants would have roots. Um, but we're not really going to be alive in our lives, okay? If it's necessary for life and we have this root that's wrapped down around Jesus, we're not really going to be alive until we're united with Christ, until we're completely wrapped around Christ. But also a root carries nourishment to the plant. So we need to draw that nourishment up from the Lord Jesus Christ. And a root also keeps the plant or the tree in place. What's keeping you in place when the storms of life come? Is it going to be Jesus? Are we going to be so rooted and grounded that it doesn't matter what life may throw our way? Hey, I live a good life right now, uh, but it's not always been easy, and it's still not easy right now. It's hard. Life is tough, man. Life is just tough in general. And uh, from my past with felonies and all that kind of stuff, like I will wear that for the rest of my life. And there's things that it's not always going to be easy, okay? But I'm going to be kept in place because I have a stable relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does the cedar grow downward, it grows upward. Check this out. The cedars of Lebanon specifically, um, they grow up to 120 to 150 feet tall. This is a massive, massive tree, okay? And what it was saying is basically if this tree is growing this tall, just like... Um, this tree, basically, we're Christians, and we, we live in the world. I get that. Be in the world, but not of the world and all this. But we can walk around with our heads above the clouds, basically, because we know that Jesus has won the victory. Man, when I was in prison, I had people, I was saved and on fire for the Lord, and I literally would have people yell at me and say, why are you walking around smiling like that all the time? And I'd be like, let me tell you why. And I'd get to tell them about Jesus you know, but people would get mad at me because I was in prison smiling. They said, this is not a, this isn't a good place. You need to be mad you're here and da, 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 da. But the thing was, is I was more free inside the prison walls than I ever was outside. Okay. When I was wrapped up, addicted to drugs and eating dollar cheeseburgers every two days from McDonald's, that's not living. Let me tell you, you understand that's not living addicted to dope. So when I got inside a prison, I felt like, man, I'm living life to the fullest inside these prison walls. And they didn't like that. So as a Christian, man, we can grow upwards and have our heads above the clouds. But not only that, we can grow outwards. The cedar of Lebanon grows 40 feet in circumference. 40 feet, man. This is, these are just huge trees, but um, this is the thing. Uh, as a rule, these, the cedar branches don't start until nine feet off the ground. Okay, so it's pretty, pretty ways up that they don't start. But they spread out. Okay, and what they do is they provide shelter from the elements, okay, to all the plant life underneath them. So as Christians, if we've grown downwards and rooted in Christ, we've grown upwards, and now we're growing out. Who are we reaching? Who, who is underneath basically the shadow of our wings that we're providing uh, basically protection and that we're providing nourishment to, are we mentoring other people? Are we pouring into other people's lives? 
and they, they, spread, um, they stretch out, man, and they allow everything else underneath them to grow. What's cool is they, they possess this just unmatched beauty because they stand so uh, tall. But this is, this is my favorite part that I researched about this. I just think this is it's amazing. They, can, they live over 2,000 years, this, these trees do. But the reason they live so long is they literally produce a fragrance that is like a natural off, and it repels insects. So anything that would eat this tree or kill this tree, it produces such an odor that it makes that thing flee. So I wonder in our Christian lives, are we producing an odor that, hey, yes, we're still witnessing the people, but are we producing an odor that's basically repelling sin up off of us and repelling the world out of our lives like this tree? Because remember, everything in this Bible is anointed, so why would they put the cedar in here? These people knew this. This was their everyday living. Now, we don't see cedars in Lebanon here, but they knew this, and they knew they produced such a scent, and they knew that if the righteous were planted in the house of God, they're going to flourish. They're going to repel the world just like this cedar is. They were also used in purification rites for cleansings of lepers. And uh, it was basically to show new life. And as Christians, it's showing that we can have new life through Christ. So then the cedar grows onward. And I just mentioned they grow onward, meaning they grow over 2,000 years old. And in the Bible right here, it's actually... Uh, symbolic of meaning eternal life for us. It's basically they grow uh, 2,000 years old or more. And for us to be righteous, man, we are going to have eternal life with Christ. It was a sign of strength in the, the cedar. There's a lot of different things that we could go on and on, but the cedar um, is an evergreen. It blooms all year. Just as the Bible says we're to be instant in season and instant out of season, that it blooms all year long. And so for us, we need to be planted in the house of the Lord and blooming wherever God puts us, doing things God's way. Number three is we need to be nourishment to the world. Verse 14 says this, They shall still bring forth fruit in an old age, and they shall be fat and flourishing. The psalmist mentioned fruit. Well, the palm tree, there's about 120 different types of palm trees, and some of them bear fruit and some of them don't. But this would have meant a lot to the readers because in the old age, he said that they shall still bring forth fruit in their old age and they'll be fat and flourishing is what verse 17 says. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, that God still has a plan. He's not done with you yet. In your old age, you can still bring forth fruit for the Lord and you can still do great things for the kingdom that will never, ever stop growing. My favorite thing about the palm tree, I just told you the one about the cedar, the palm tree was this. Guess what? The sweeter the fruit is. The sweeter the fruit of a palm tree is the older the tree is. So why, is that, why does that mean anything? Well, as the tree grows older, the fruit gets sweeter. It says this, the trees that have been demolished and beaten and battered and been through the most uh, storms and all that kind of stuff, those trees that have the scars all on the trunks are the ones that have the sweetest fruit. 
You understand this right here. The ones basically that have been through the most in life and life has beat them down and everything's come crashing in on them time and time again and they've just looked to the Lord and they've just grown. Those are the ones that are going to have the sweeter fruit. Just like the palm tree, the one that takes the most abuse has the sweeter the fruit. You understand, I've, hey, I go to a lot of different churches and I've seen a lot of different things. I've seen a lot of Christians that sometimes life beats them down and they get bitter instead of getting better, okay? I was a bitter Christian for a while at the people that had given me up, but hey, guess what? I, I tried to witness to those people and send them emails and try to talk to them, the people that ratted me out, and they didn't know why in the world this man's wanting to contact me. You understand, is he wanting to hurt me or something like that? And uh, I said, I just want to tell you about Jesus. About a couple of weeks ago, I saw the DA who cussed me out, and I won't tell you what he said to me, but it wasn't pretty, and told me, I'm putting you in prison, and see ya. And I saw him at lunch about, well, it's almost been 10 months ago now. I saw him at lunch, and I waited till he finished his lunch with a bunch of judges over in Asheville and made a beeline for him. And I said, hey, I said, are you such and such? And he backed up like this. I said, you sent me to prison, man. And he was like, oh, that stinks. And I was like, but guess what? Here's my business card. I got saved and I love Jesus. And that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, and oh, man, I gave him my business card. And I said, dude, you know, I'm not mad at you. It was my decision and all this kind of, kind of stuff because the Lord has set me free and I can do that. You know, it wasn't his fault, man. He was doing his job. He didn't have to talk like he did, but that wasn't his, his fault. When he saw me, he didn't know what was about to happen. You know, I, I was nervous. He's nervous. And the first thing I just blurted out, you sent me to prison. I was like, you know, uh-oh, what's about to happen now? You understand? So anyway, but the sweeter we get, the more scars that we have in our lives. And I've seen it, man. I've seen some choirs that look like the whole choir sucked on some lemon juice or something up there just... <laughs> you know, just as dead as can be, and, uh, you know, they're not getting sweeter. They're maybe getting bitter. <laughs> oh, man. But our trials are going to conform us to the image of Christ, basically. I just heard the other day, and I, I, don't, I can't quote it verbatim, but um, what's that? The ladies, Yanni Erickson, Johnny Erickson, Tata. Yeah, she said this. I'm going to probably mess it up. She said, God allows what he hates to get what he wants. God allows the things he hates. God hates drugs in prison, but it won my heart over. He allows that. And it will conform us to the image of Christ. And then in Corinthians, it tells us, you're going through this so that you can help somebody else go through it, that you can give somebody else the hope of Jesus Christ. I think the last two things is... A palm tree cannot be grafted. You've seen, basically, you graft fruit or graft fruit trees and different things to get the most pure, best form of fruit. But horticulturalists say that if you graft a palm tree, it's to kill it. So you're going to kill, my brother and I talk a lot, and we always talk about sin is either going to bring spiritual death or physical death. So when you're a Christian and you try to graft, which is basically means you try to live one foot in the world and one foot in the church, or you try to straddle a fence post, have you ever tried to do that? It's not very comfortable. You're going to one side or the other. And so when you try to graft the world into your life as a Christian, it's to kill the life of Christ 
inside of you. Just like to graft a palm tree is to kill it. A palm tree also cannot be used as firewood because a palm tree will not burn. Just as Christians, when we accept Jesus, never have to worry about burning in hell. We never have to worry about anything but living with Jesus in heaven. So just as the palm tree won't burn, Christians will never burn or suffer the fires of hell for even one moment. Verse 15 says, To show that the Lord is right, is upright, and that he's a rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him at all. We just got out of Christmas, and there's a verse in Proverbs, and it says, We're ornaments of grace. I want you to get this right here. We're ornaments of grace. What, do you, what does everybody put on the top of their Christmas tree? The angel or the star? or the, It's basically the most prized ornament that when someone comes to visit, or your family comes up, when they walk in the house, they see that first. It's reflecting that light to their eyes, and everything's drawn to that. Well, just as that, is the ornament on top of the tree. We are ornaments of God's grace put on display for the world to see. And we're put on display that we might reflect or shine that grace off just like that prized ornament would do. And it shines and gives light to the house or or reflects light. We're to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to show, the Bible says in 15, that he is upright and he is our rock and that there is no unrighteousness in God at all. So I just pray that we would be like the cedar um, that would grow downwards and outwards and upwards with Christ. You know, I pray that we would seek our nourishment deep, and I pray that we would touch the lives of other people, and we would grow on in lasting qualities with Christ to show the love of the Lord. In conclusion, I want you to I want you to listen to this. It's, it's a little lengthy quote. It's another Oswald Chambers. He said this. He said, If you do not cut the lines that tie you to the dock, God will have to use a storm to sever them and send you out to sea. Put everything in your life afloat upon God. Going out on the sea of the great swelling tide of God's purpose, and your eyes will then be opened. If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all your time in the calm waters just inside the harbor, full of joy but always tied to the dock. You have to get past the harbor into the great depths of God and begin to start knowing things for yourself and having spiritual discernment. You got to go deep. You got to send the root down deep. You got to, to trust in the Lord. And there's going to be times that, yeah, the storms are tough and life is tough. We lost my father. He retired after giving his life for the gospel for 40 years, retired and just a couple months later passed instantly. Unexpected. Life is tough, man. I see my little daughter, and 
man, she just grunts and moans and struggles for every little breath, it seems like, from the time we're born. It's, man's days are short and full of trouble. But Jesus is the answer. He's going to be the one that when in prison, I couldn't call home and my parents were so mad at me, they didn't even come to my court date. When I couldn't talk to them, I could talk to Jesus inside those walls. He's going to be the one in the midnight hour that's going to hold you. He's going to be the one that you can talk to and be a friend that's closer than a brother. There's a story told of a group of women that were at a Bible study. They said they were studying Malachi chapter 3. They said they came across that verse and it says, He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Talking about God. But this was very puzzling to the women in the Bible study. So one of the women decided, you know what, I want to find out a little more about this, and I'm, I'm going to go research this, and I'll get back to you the following week. So she called up a silversmith, and she made an appointment. She went to the silversmith. She didn't, she didn't mention why she was there or what she was going to do or why her interest in this. Um, she just wanted to see the process of refining silver. So it says that she watched, she saw the silversmith work, and he had hold this piece of silver over the fire and he'd let it heat up. And he explained that in refining fire, one needs to hold the silver right in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest. And doing this, it would burn all the impurities away. But the woman thought about how God can hold us in such a hot spot. She thought about that verse again. He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith, was it true that he had to sit there the whole entire time watching the silver be refined in the fire? And the man answered, oh, yes. Not only did he have to sit there, he had to keep his eyes on it the entire time because if he took his eyes off for one second and it got too hot, the fire would destroy the purified silver. He couldn't leave it for a moment too long or in the flames because it would be destroyed. So the woman sat silently for a minute and thought. She asked the silversmith, how do you know when the uh, silver is fully refined? And he smiled and said, that's easy. When I see my image in it. When I see my image in it. As God holds us sometimes in the fire and all that stuff goes away, he starts to see his image in us, that ornament of grace reflecting the love of Christ. You'll bow your heads with me. I just wonder if we're at a point in time that maybe there's been some things that have made us bitter in life. Maybe there's things that not only have made us bitter, but we could be struggling with. We could not understand. I was a wayward child. I'm sure my family didn't understand that for years. Maybe there's been loss or death or loved ones that are not knowing the Lord or children that are acting out. We're all going through something. But God sits as the refiner. He sits there and he wants to see his image in us. It's my prayer this morning that you would be open to allow God to work in your heart and to do things like never before in your life that he can just mold you into the image of Christ.
we're going to open up the altar for prayer. I want to pray with you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as simple as this. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. It is truly that simple. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I just ask that you pray that. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I pray for the ones that might be backslidden or just maybe not even backslidden, Lord, just want to take it to another level in their relationship with you. I pray for that person this morning. If they would just say, today is the day that I'm going to step up. I'm going to give my life fully over to you to work however you would like, God. You can refine me and mold me into whatever image you see. Father, move on our hearts right now that we might flourish in the house of the Lord. Hey guys, first off I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. And it's called baptism. And baptism is so key, it's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. 
and it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.